Thank you, Father, that we serve a God who lives and rules and reigns. And Lord, may you reign in every heart here tonight. We thank you for the privilege that you've given us to gather together. We're here in your name. We thank you for your presence here tonight. We give praise to you, God, for the time of worship. And Lord, we lift our hearts up to you now and pray that you would minister to us by your spirit and through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Happy birthday, Pastor Ange. It's not up to me to tell them how old you are. It's up to you. But it's, uh, I'm not going to give a number, but it's exactly seven, seven decades. <laughs> we thank the Lord for you and for Kathy, and uh, may you be blessed. Family, if you would turn to Second Kings, we're going to be picking up uh, in chapter 1, verses 5 through 18 tonight. Tonight's message is entitled, God is for you, and we just sang about this too, and uh, how good God is, and how, how wonderful it is to know that uh, he's, he's for us. He ministers and works on our behalf. And we're going to take a look at what God is doing through Elijah here, and we're going to jump into the book of Romans chapter 8 for a little bit too. So, But as we pick up tonight in, in chapter 1 of 2 Kings, if you recall how uh, King Ahab's son Ahaziah was now on the throne after Ahab had died. And we saw in verse 2, if you remember, how Ahaziah fell from an upper floor and onto the ground. Leaned up against the lattice, the thing gave way, and down he went, and seriously injured. Well, Ahab and now Ahaziah, they led God's people into idol worship. And if you remember the name of that God, Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies. And Psalm 115 tells us this in verse 8. They that make them, make these idols, are like unto them, so, that, so is every one that trusteth in them. So, Ahaziah's life, you know, worshiping the God of the flies, I would suggest that his life was characterized by rottenness and filth. And in his rottenness, and after he was injured, he wanted to know, he, am I going to recover from this? Obviously, he's, he's injured very badly. So, he chose to send his messengers out, and he sent them to inquire of Beelzebub. How sad this is, isn't it? And here's what the Bible says about idols and false gods and those that worship them, like Ahaziah. It says in Psalm 115, verses 4 through 7, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They, speaking of the idols, have mouths, but they speak not. They have eyes, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses, that they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not neither speak they through their throat. So we're given this absolute truth, and we know it to be absolute truth about these idols. They're, they're false and entirely useless. And if they're entirely useless, that brings up a question, then why in the world does anybody worship an idol? Why would Ahaziah consult with this Beelzebub, a false god, a false who is an idol? You know, and when, when you think about that, and there's, there's people that worship idols all the time, and 
you might be thinking, because I'm thinking about it too, why would a person worship these things rather than the God in heaven that is all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing, always available? To worship anyone other than him is foolishness, yet it happens every day. And so many people are willingly ignorant and chose and choose not to follow the one true and living God. So after Ahaziah sent his messengers, well, God also sent a messenger, an angel of the Lord, to the prophet Elijah. And at the angel's instruction, Elijah, Elijah dispatched, was dispatched to intercept Ahaziah's messengers and ask them. We see this in verse 3. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say unto them, Is it not because there is not a god in Israel that you go to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? So God sent Elijah to speak, to speak this word. And the Lord spoke to Elijah, and he told Elijah this in verse 4. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shall surely die. The message that Elijah was to give to King Ahaziah is, don't bother trying to get out of bed, because you're going to die there. And then what happened? Elijah left. He just departed. I really love this about Elijah. God said, here's what I want you to say. Elijah said it. And he left. No more, no less. He spoke no more than what God instructed him to speak. And sometimes, you know, maybe, maybe you feel like, because I do sometimes too, we need to get wordy. Uh, and we, we feel sometimes we need to offer an explanation for what God prompts us to say. But God's word, when we share God's word, you and I know that God's word stands on its own, doesn't it? Stands on its own. And if he gives you a word, then speak the word. That's what Elijah did. And when the messengers, we see in verse 5, uh, turned back unto him, speaking of Ahaziah, he said unto them, why are you now turned back, or why are you back so soon? Why did you come back so quickly? You must not have gone very far. And the messengers said this, we see in verse 6, they said unto him, there came a man up to meet us, and said unto us, go, turn again unto the king that sent you, and say unto him, thus saith the Lord, is it not because there is not a God in Israel that thou sendest to inquire Baals above the God of Ekron? Therefore thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shall surely die. And he said unto them, what manner, or what was the appearance of this man when he came to meet you, and told you these words? And they answered him, he was a hairy man. And girt with a girdle or a belt of leather about his loins. And the king said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Ahaziah clearly, he understood who it was. He understood the description. And he was introduced to Elijah through his father Ahab, whom Elijah had been rebuking. So Ahaziah knew who he was dealing with. Then the king, verse 9 the king sent unto him, unto Elijah, a captain of 50, 50 soldiers, and with his 50. And he went up to him, and behold, 
Elijah sat on the top of a hill, and he spoke unto him, Thou man of God, the king hath said, Come down. So this captain of these 50 men, he approaches Elijah. He says, Come on down. There's 50 soldiers waiting here. The intent was that they're going to kill him. Well, Elijah didn't seem to be intimidated, just as calm as he could be, you know, just sitting on top of the hill, just waiting for whatever's next. Elijah answered, we see in verse 10, and said to the captain of 50, If I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and the 50. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and the 50. Fire, as we know, is a sign of divine judgment. I suppose here it's a new meaning of getting fired, right? God, oh, bad. That was bad. But that's what God did. And remember back to Mount Carmel. God used fire from heaven. Who He used to consume the altar, the sacrifice, the wood, and even the water. And if you recall, Baal, and here we have Baal's above, a derivative of, was supposed to be their god of nature, fire, and lightning from heaven was his specialty. And the people believe that. So when Elijah made this call of fire from heaven, he's making a point to the nation that these guys, this captain and these 50, they're up to no good. And they're coming to arrest me in order to kill me, to do nothing good. And also, they've aligned themselves with King Ahaziah in the leading of the nation of Israel into idolatry, and therefore... They're worthy, as Ahaziah, worthy of the death sentence. There's so much unrighteousness among God's people in this land. There was no one that took a stand for God against Ahaziah and his people. So God said, listen, I have to deal with this. And he causes fire to come down, not to communicate to the 50. There are, it's too late for them. They're already gone. But to communicate to the nation that they're worshiping this God, Baal, Baal, who is supposed to be ruling over all of nature, weather, fire, and lightning. And guess what? Baal can do nothing. Nothing for the people to protect them. So as we saw with the challenge at Mount Carmel, there's another power encounter here between God and Baal to make a point for the nation that, listen, you're on the wrong track. You're going in the wrong direction. You're worshiping someone that's completely impotent to help you. While all the while you ought to be worshiping me, God would say. You ought to be worshiping me, the one true and living God. So God continues to send a message. I mean, he hasn't given up. He's still trying to break through to their hard hearts. And that's what God does. He, he broke through to my heart. Didn't he break through to yours too? You resisted him. As I resisted him, we've all resisted God, and God made his way into our heart. Praise God that he didn't give up on us. He's trying, to again, to make his way into the hearts of these people, but, but sadly, he had to elevate the means to get their attention, and he does that. He, he ramps up sometimes to get people's attention, and here's what he's doing with the children of Israel, that they would take this message seriously. And as you might expect, the news of this, I mean, this is a, a serious situation that took place here. Fire from heaven consumed the 50 men and the captain. News travels fast. 
And we, knew, we know that the reason for this judgment, the death of these men, as we studied last week in the Law of Moses in Deuteronomy 16, warning those that lead people into idolatry. God is very, very serious about that. Very concerned. Well, you might have, you would have thought that this would have gotten the king's attention. But it didn't seem to deter Ahaziah at all. So verse 11 tells us, and also he, again, the king, sent unto Elijah another captain of 50 with his 50. And he answered and said unto him, O man of God, thus hath the king said, come down. This time he adds the word quickly. First it was come down, now it's come down quickly. So Elijah answers, we see in verse 12, and said unto them, if I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy 50. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and the 50. Now, before this becomes attractive to you, for anyone that's giving you a hard time, <laughs> Jesus spoke about this in Luke chapter 9. So turn with me to Luke chapter 9. We'll go through a few verses here. In this, in this chapter, it tells us that Jesus and the, the apostles were traveling through Samaria, and they sought hospitality, but they were denied by the Samaritans, and that's a huge insult in that culture. So, in verse 51, it tells us this, and it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he, speaking of Jesus, set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him, because his, his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elijah did? And he turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. So James and John, obviously very familiar with this, this account in 2 Kings. They use that as a proof text for toasting the Samaritans. And clearly Jesus testified against this because we're to be marked by love, aren't we? This is what he's telling us here. Marked by love and the word of God. Bring the word, bring the word of God to bear upon a situation or upon a person spoken, spoken out of a heart of love for those we're struggling with. Well, apparently the two captains and 100 men consumed by fire from heaven wasn't, again, it wasn't enough for Ahaziah. So back to 2 Kings, verse 13, it says, and he sent again a captain of the third 50 and his, with his 50. And the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and besought him and said unto him, O man of God, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these 50, thy servants, be precious in thy sight. So this captain, he approaches Elijah a bit differently, doesn't he? Rather than calling Elijah down, the captain went up up on the hill, and he fell on his, on his knees in humility, and he pleaded with Elijah, spare my life and the lives of these men. 
So this captain, he realized that what had happened was a result of the Lord's judgment against them, and he, he honored the majesty of the Lord over Baal, and he was spared. Well, verse 15 tells us this. And the angel of the Lord said unto Elijah, Go down with him, be not afraid of him. And he arose and went down with him unto the king. And he said unto the king, Thus saith the Lord, For as much as thou hast sent messengers to inquire Baals above the God of Ekron, is it not because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, thou shalt not come down off that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. Elijah honored the Lord. He shared without shame. He shared exactly what God asked him to share. No more, no less, steadfast in sharing. He didn't change the message to suit his audience. He didn't soft pedal it. He said, this is what's going to happen. He had to say what he had to say. And, of course, he left the results in God's hands. In verse 17, it says this. So he, speaking of Ahaziah, died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. And Jehoram reigned in his stead in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because he had no son. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So here we're introduced to another man, Jehoram, also Ahab's son, Ahaziah's brother. So now we have Jehoram as a king of, of the northern kingdom of Israel, and another Jehoram as the king of the southern kingdom of Israel, Judah. But I want to take a look at Elijah here for a minute. You know, as we look at this prophet Elijah... In his encounter with King Ahaziah, the, the king of the land, you know, a man that's to be revered, the encounter with him, the three captains, the 150 soldiers, the threat upon Elijah's death, you know what Elijah wasn't? He wasn't intimidated. He was bold to speak because he knew two things. Probably more than two, but I want to touch on two. First, obedience to God was primary for him. He shared what God asked him to share in dealing with Ahaziah. And secondly, he approached with all boldness, with truth. He spoke the truth, no more, no less, because he knew that God was for him. He had nothing to fear. God was for him. And you know what, family? It's the exact same thing for us. It's the same God that never changes, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God that was for Elijah is the God that is for you too. And Romans 8.31 says, What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And when we look at Elijah, when we consider his behaviors and his actions here, he had perfect confidence, didn't he? He didn't falter. He had perfect confidence, not in himself, but he had confidence in God. And we ought to have that exact same confidence because our God is for us. If you would turn to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to spend some time in Romans chapter 8. And let's read verses 35 through 39. 
Paul writes this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, no one shall separate us. You see, if someone could, it would mean they're more powerful than God. But God is all-powerful. Nothing could separate us from the love of Christ. So what Paul is saying here is the love of Christ is a safeguard for us against the difficulties of life. So with this beautiful, precious love of Christ, the awesome realization that he is for us and that his thoughts toward us are always good, also that in Christ there is no condemnation and certainly that in Christ no charges are laid against us, shall tribulation, distress, peril, persecution, famine, nakedness, or the sword, will those separate us? Of course not. But then, why do we go through these things? Well, the answer is found in verse 36. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Why? Because we are sheep, and sheep are quite easily attacked by predators. And sometimes, doesn't it seem that the Christian community forgets that we're sheep? So really, the trials and persecutions should come as no surprise, but sometimes, I believe, we try to take on the battle ourselves. And God says, no, you're just sheep. We come out swinging sometimes when we're attacked. Sometimes our our swinging is with our tongue, right? But that's not a correct picture of a sheep. The imagery is all wrong. How many of you have seen a, a, a sheep or a lamb go on a rampage? I've never seen one. You know, sometimes we drive up Turk Hill Road out toward Parenton, and there's a a big field there with hundreds of sheep in it. And I've never seen a sheep on a rampage. Or maybe how many of you have seen a a report of a child slipping into a lamb's cage at, at the zoo and being mauled? Never heard of it. Or how about sports teams called the sheep or the lamb? Yeah, you aren't going to find that either. Why? Because sheep are docile by nature, and they only have one row of teeth on the bottom. I don't think they could hurt you if they wanted to. So whatever you're going through, and we all go through things, right? Difficulty, persecution, separation because of your faith in Christ and your uncompromised view and your uncompromised practice of the Scripture, whatever it might be, there's good news. None of these things shall separate me from the love of Christ. But these things also are a call for the believer to real devotion. See, times of distress and persecution are not times to say, well, I'm done. It's not time to throw the towel in or become discouraged. These are the times to embrace the love of Jesus 
to dig into, to press into the reality of who God is and how much he loves you. And when we do that, we're, we're plugging right into the power of God. We, we're plugging into his protection and strength, whose strength is made perfect in the weakness of his sheep. And we live a life of freedom because Jesus provided victory over sin and death, and he has given us life. So none of these things Paul mentioned, again, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, etc., can have victory over us. Why? Well, the scriptures tell us that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And who is the him that loved us or loves us? It's Jesus. So we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Now, what does it mean to be more than conquerors? I, I know what it means to be a conqueror, right? The dictionary says a conqueror is one who is, a victori- who is victorious. You go into a battle, you fight, you win, you're a conqueror. And in many ways, that seems sufficient and satisfying. Most of us would be content to be conquerors, wouldn't we? But Jesus said, no, no, we're more than conquerors. We go into the battle victorious. We already have the victory. We don't have to wonder about the outcome. And we are more than conquerors in the present tense. He said, you are. Not we were, not we will be, not we might be. No, we are more than conquerors, not just mere conquerors, much more than that, super conquerors. So that death and life and angels and principalities, things present and things to come, Heights and depths, all created things that have anything to do with us works in our favor. How do I know? Because God tells us that. They all work in our favor. Romans 8.28, Paul said, and we guess? No. We think? We know all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Do you love God? Are you called according to his purpose? If that's the case, you know that somehow, in some way, all things are working together for good. In verse 37 of Romans chapter 8, God applies the glue that not only holds this truth together, but makes being super conquerors a reality presently. And what is it? He says, it's the love of Jesus. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors or super conquerors through him that loved us. You see, in all the things that are mentioned here, there is revealed to us the love of God which is in Jesus, a love by which no one will ever be able to separate us. And therefore, we are called super conquerors. And it comes right after verse 36, a reminder that we are as sheep and as God's sheep, He tells us we face death all day long and are considered to be sheep to be slaughtered. But verse 37 tells us that we're more than conquerors. So here's the picture. And this is an important one to grab onto. We are helpless sheep. We are docile sheep. We are one row of teeth sheep. Sheep aren't the most intelligent creatures in the world. Sorry. Limited intelligence, but we are conquering sheep. And that's not a new breed, it's us. And I think of, you know, the, the great beasts of the, of the world that conquer, you see, lions and tigers, etc. 
Don't say bears. Then we'd have to say, oh my. <laughs> so, no, the great beasts of the world. And the idea of a conquering sheep seems ridiculous. And, of course, Paul is using figurative language to make a point. So, you know, if we try to picture a conquering sheep, and we know that as sheep, we are, our weapons are spiritual and not carnal. We have an arsenal through Jesus Christ that loves us. And Paul described those in Ephesians chapter 6. And we as sheep need to wear them every single day, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We have a shield of faith. We have a helmet of salvation. And we know, and as you read that list, that those are all defensive weapons. But there's one more. And it's the only offensive weapon in the armor, and that is the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. So the only weapon that we as sheep are to use offensively, it's the word of God. Not to be used offensively in our delivery. I've certainly been guilty of that. But to be shared in love. Because that's how Jesus shared God's word, in love and compassion. And God's word is, in, is completely sufficient to accomplish the work that God wants to accomplish. The prophet Isaiah tell, told us this in Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. To me, that means God's saying, just share it. Share the word. And allow me, God would say, allow me to do with it what I want to do with it. You know, we don't have to apply the word to somebody and then try to probe it and press it and move this person. No. God says, I'm going to take care of it. Allow him to do what he wants to do, knowing that his will is that none would perish. For there is, there is power in the word of God. Hebrews 4, verse 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You know, the, the kingdoms of the world, they thrive on, on power. And whoever has the most power wins. But you know, as Christians, we're weak. We don't seek that kind of power. And we're despised. And we admit that we're weak. We, we know that we need Jesus. And we agree with Jesus when he said, without me, you can do nothing. And you know, the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize this is absolutely true. Because I recognize that I need Jesus. And you know, I've heard many times, and you probably have too, people say, you know, you born-again Christians, you know, the only reason you're born again is because you're weak. Yeah. Or you've been in trouble. Yeah. Or you've been addicted to drugs or alcohol or something. Yes. Or you have some kind of problem. Amen. Absolutely. And you use Jesus as a crutch for your weakness. Well, is Jesus my crutch? No. He's my entire hospital. I need him. I'm in intensive care. And I love intensive care because God cares for me and he cares for you intensively. God's love for me is incredibly intense and so much so that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on his name will not perish but have everlasting life. I need Jesus. 
We need Jesus. So next time you hear of somebody in an intensive care department, think of God's intensive care for you that makes you more than a conqueror. You know, we don't have to wield as many in the world wield M16s. No, we take out John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Share the truth of who Jesus is and why he came. And it's in, he came to a world that's in desperate need. And we need to allow Jesus' strength to be made perfect in our weakness. That's how we can become super conquerors. The love of Christ and allowing his strength to be made manifest in us. 2 Corinthians 12.10 Paul said, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities. I'm not there yet. In reproaches. I'm not there yet. In necessities. I'm not there yet. In persecution. I'm not there yet either. In distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And you see, whenever you feel that you are strong and think you can handle it, you think that you don't need help and are entirely capable, it's at that time that you're most apt to stumble and fall because you're trusting in yourself and relying on your own abilities and your own strength. And no matter how strong you know, we, we think that we might be, one day God will show us differently that we need him, that we need to allow him full and open access to us to, to impart his strength because we're just weak sheep. In areas where you recognize your weakness, you know that you've got to trust in the Lord. In those areas, his, his strength is then made perfect in your weakness. And then what? We're able to stand. And you can go through things just as Paul mentioned in pleasure, that is in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses, things that you never ever thought before that you could go through because at those times, you begin to rely solely on the Lord. And it's at that time you receive his strength. What a difference between his strength and my strength. What a difference between his abilities and my inabilities. You find yourself ever increasing in dependence toward Jesus because you've, you've realized that in your weakness, his strength is perfected and you begin to trust him more and more and more as he reveals to you his glorious self and his glorious ways. And how good it is when I've learned to trust the Lord and seek his counsel in all things. Isn't it wonderful that we can approach the throne of God, our wonderful God, our counselor, and know that he ministers to us through his word. A situation that may seem impossible. God, I don't know what to do here. Spend time with Jesus and ask him. And he'll show you. He knows all about it. Hosea 10 verse 12 says, Break up your fallow ground, your hard ground, for now it is time to seek the Lord. Now 
And there's always a now. It's very present, isn't it? It's good when I learn to draw from him, draw his strength. And then as Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So Elijah heard a word from God. He spoke it boldly with confidence, threat upon his life. He still spoke it in confidence. He had a perfect peace and a calm around him. He trusted in the Lord. And his faith was in God. His faith was in God's word. So he is able to approach the situation we just described. And we're not done with Elijah. There's a lot more. But he approached the situation in God's strength. In his obedience to God and knowledge that God was for him. Enabled him to do that. And that is the same God that is for you too. Don't forget that. Don't forget. Trust him. Trust him. If he's called you to do something, if he's called you to say something, trust him, and he's going to see you through. Now, just if you don't mind, Don, I'm going to share just a little thing with you, or with you, what I shared, with, what Don shared with me a little bit earlier. He's been ministering to a woman um, for some time now, and they've, they've come to kind of an impasse. The woman that she's been talking to is part of a cult that's trying to twist. Don's arm into believing their nonsense, and it is nonsense. And um, our sister stood strong on God's word. This is what God's word says. Done. This is what the Bible says. Done. We're not to add to it. We're not to take away from it. Done. And we can have that kind of confidence, not to brag on Don, but it's an interesting thing that she shared with me. But we can certainly boast on our Savior, can't we? We can certainly say, this is what God has said. This is what God asked me to do. Hey, there's no argument there, is there? You, know, you can argue with me all you want, but the argument it really isn't with me. It's, it's with God. And sometimes folks don't want to hear that, but they need to take it up with God. The God. The true. The living God. So, Father, we come to you and thank you for the word. We thank you for Elijah, a man that's steadfast in you, a man that heard your voice and responded and did exactly what you told him to do. And his confidence wasn't in himself as Elijah the man. His confidence was entirely on, on you, Lord. He knew he belonged to you, and he knew that you are in his corner. You are for him. And, God, you are for us. And no one can, no weapon that's formed against us shall prosper. If God is for us, who could be against us? And we praise you, God. We thank you for your care for us. Help us to trust you completely and implicitly in every situation. In every situation, may we seek you to gain your wisdom, to learn your ways, to hear from heaven that we would respond as you would have us to respond and decide, make decisions based on what you instruct. Not what the world would think, not what the world would instruct, but God, we come to you. We need you. We're weak. We're needy, but you are strong, and you shall supply all of our need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.